bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Roger Connors, what is up? Troy, my goodness, what isn't up as of late these last few weeks? Goodness me. I mean, aside from Corona, having a full-fledged uh, attack on our nation <laughs> going into phase two. Um, what a what a weird couple of months. Good couple of months, but a weird couple of months it's been. We've both been very busy. Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, we. It's been a minute since we've recorded because you have been having a lot of things going on. I know that, and, and same thing with me. But now we are able to sit down finally and get this episode out because, boy, have I have I been excited to talk about this film. So what has been going on? I, because you know, I know since we talked last, you have a little movie premiere. Uh, oh, goodness. Let us not forget. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. Um, my movie Rebirth had its official premiere. Uh, um, a couple, uh, couple, a couple of months ago, <laughs> which is honestly like, that was the first thing that really like, uh, it really like consumed my schedule and understandably so. And you'll understand this and other individuals listening who make cinema will get this. Um, a film premiere is a big endeavor and we did three screenings so um this was you know my first feature uh directorial debut though i have ad done several um but god it was stressful makes me never want to do it again but also i still want to so that's bullshit i'm lying but um yeah man it was a lot it was a lot but hey what a payoff it was great yeah oh yeah it was great i had a really uh really awesome experience really great feedback yeah the feedback has been great it's a, it's really a great little film um i i'm excited for people to to see it fans of you know the original night of the living dead are definitely going to appreciate this one it's, it's very well done with the homage but it does its own thing as well so I definitely appreciate it. It's very well done. So guys, when you get a chance, you need to check it out for sure. For sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your support as always, Troy. Um, and yeah, there will be news about that. We actually just signed, like just signed for distribution today. Oh. Um, <laughs> which like, yeah, and I'm not even going to, I'm I, like, I'm tempted to announce it, but like still until like all of the, T's are crossed and I's are dotted and so forth and so on. I don't want to like jinx it, but like technically we did just sign for distribution. So next, uh, next episode, I, I, that'll be ideally what I'll be announcing. Uh, some more good news and how and when people can see it. Yeah. Um, what about, you know, obviously teacher shortage has been out circulating and it sounds like you're hearing some good press on that. Yeah. 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 It's been out for a while and you know, I'm still getting a lot of good feedback from it. Um, so yeah, it's good. Now it's on to, you know what I'm going to do next. So, um, yeah, so we shall see, but you know, really it's been this whole Corona thing has been crazy because it, yes. it's really just, you know, we, we all can relate to this. It's, it's, it's so much altered our, our lives and 
I, I feel like, you know, my job, my real job in, my, in the real world is, is just so different than what it was last year or any of the previous years I've been in education. So trying to adjust to that has been very um, just interesting and exhausting. And um, I'm ready for this shit to be over, even though it just seems like now we're getting right back into it. But, you know, the, the whole vaccine thing is, is promising and hopefully we can just pray that 2021 at some point is, is better than this shit show has been. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we're off to a, a, a good start with everything that's about to transpire in the sense of the world of politics. So that's a refreshing, you know, kicking it off on a good note. Um, but yeah, overall, like this whole year, I mean, and, and not to be like, I feel like if you have a podcast, you somehow have to talk about this. We're wrapping up 2020 and like, how can we avoid the topic of how rough this year has been? But like, you know, I was, I was released from my job of six years and like, I'm now in the midst of like a career shift, which is another big reason why like maintaining a podcast has been difficult. Um, but like you prioritizing everything has become uh, spinning so many plates. It's spinning so many plates and making it so difficult. And um, it's hard to just like do what you want to do and, and, and enjoy your time now. You know, um, either people have too much time or you're trying to like transition into a new phase of your life and like get back on your feet. And it's just like, it's so all consuming. It's rough, man. It is. It is. And we're not going to dwell on it because we don't want to de- depress people because I'm sure all of our listeners are, are definitely un- understand what we're talking about, but you got, yeah, they're feeling, yeah, you got a new job. So congrats on that. And, and we were just talking about hopefully as things settle down now, we'll be able to get these episodes out on a regular basis because God, there's nothing we love more than talking about horror films. Um, That's true. If there has been any any positive of 2020 for you, Roger. It is the fact that you got to watch Stage Fright for this podcast. It is. It is. Listen, I've heard so much about this title prior to this, and I don't know how I've avoided it. And now, after seeing it, I especially don't know how I've avoided it. Um, and I mean that in the best way possible because I mean I'm just gonna say it like point blank. What a great fucking movie what a beautiful piece of cinema what a well-executed film um every breakdown you know uh, from the score to the cinematography to the acting like we're going to get into it but like i'm going to flourish this with praise and i'm sure a lot of people who've seen it will understand why so yeah let us dive in to stage fright because um I'm smitten with it. Yes. Oh, me too. Me too. Um, So yes, that's the film we are discussing is 1987's Stage Fright, which also is known as Aquarius, Deliria, Soundstage, Massacre, Bloody Bird, I believe. I think it has um, quite a few titles, but here in the States, it's it's widely known as, as Stage Fright. Directed by, the first feature directed by Italian director uh, Michael Suave, who is a protege of Dario Argento. And chose. Oh, which, well, he worked with Argento. He was um, Argento's uh, assistant director on Tenebrae, I believe, opera. Um, he also was assistant director of Demons. I can love Demons. Yeah, and he worked with, yeah, he worked with Joe uh, D'Amato. So this, this dude is, has been around. He was around horror for a long time before he got this directing gig. Uh, and like you said, it shows like for a first feature film, this one is 
knocks it out of the park. Absolutely. Especially, you know, it's funny, man, especially comparing, and I'm sorry, I think I, I just stepped on what you're about to say. So, um, but uh, compared to like some of the other titles that we have now watched, because this is now our sixth title, um, our sixth podcast, excluding our intro. And a few of these, like we watched for like the sake of humor, like, haha, like, you know, a few of these titles have not really been especially strong. And then you watch something like this and it's like, oh, here's the difference between like a B movie and cinematic art. You know, like, and truly, like, it is really such an impressive, it goes to show what you can do uh, with a horror cinema uh, in the sense of making it a truly, like, impressive art form. As compared to some of these films that are, you're just making a movie to make a movie. This is a film that was crafted very well, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, so if you have not seen it, again, we always give this disclaimer, this, this disclaimer we're going to... Sp- Spoil it, even though this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, you're not really spoiling anything. There's no t- really, you know, twist or anything. But if you haven't seen this movie, you need to stop right now and watch it because you're missing out. Um, yes. The film, the film deals with a group of actors um, who are <laughs> rehearsing a um, an upcoming musical play called The Night Owl, which happens to be about a killer that dresses in an owl costume and is murdering people on the streets of where, what, whatever city this supposedly takes place in, okay? Uh, and the actors, by chance, get actually locked in the theater with an actual killer, who then dons the uh, owl costume and begins offing them in very glorious cinematic ways. So that's basically the plot. It, I mean, it almost reads like the Clown at Midnight, a group of you know people getting locked in a, in a theater. But yeah, very much so. But this is much better, obviously. Um, but that's oh, the yeah. film. And even from like the one thing that because okay, so I remember I saw this film for the first time when I was probably, and I'm not lying, nine or ten. Um, and I yeah, wow. Well, yeah, because my parents, my parents. They, they didn't care what we watched. I mean, my mom and dad were huge horror fans. And I remember going to my local video store in Davenport, Iowa. So any Davenport, Iowa people um, that are listening, you'll know what I'm talking about. It was called Hogan's Video. And this one, uh, I just remember the box art. It was in one of those clamshells. And it had the owl image on the front with the bloody girl laying under the owl. And right on the front of the box, it said something like, warning. This one is extreme graphic violence for mature audiences only. You know how they used to do some of those films used to do that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. this is the one I have to have. And my mom rented it. And I remember watching it and my parents hated it. I, I remember that uh, just because I don't think that they appreciated like that type of film. They were more into the, you know, I don't know, poltergeist type stuff. But um, right. That opening scene does kind of jar you into like what type of movie you're watching because yeah. the opening scene of the film is basically, and you don't know this yet, but it's the, it's the actors rehearsing the, um, the mu- the opening of the musical where the, the lead actress, um, is, uh, you know, walking down the street and the owl comes out and attacks her. And then it breaks out in this huge musical number with saxophones and, and all this stuff, and you're like, Lord have mercy, what is this? Um, so that opening scene is a little is a little jarring and, and really 
I think doesn't really lend itself into like the type of film you're going to watch. If that makes any sense. You know what? I'll, after, you know, having seen this for my first time and not really knowing anything about it, it might be a little bit jarring, but it also like lends into the artistic approach uh, that the, that they had when crafting this film. I mean, it's a very visually stunning film. And if you look at a lot of like the, aesthetic of the overall production like for example like the colors of the like the lighting like they do a lot of blues and reds because a lot of the lighting is actually coming from the stage and they do a lot of really like dramatic stylistic choices and i think in the sense of that very theatrical opening you know being over the top it lends to some of the other aspects of the movie which are also slightly over the top even in the choice of having a killer with an owl mask, which honestly is a phenomenal costume choice and is very effective, but everything's just like a bit over the top. It's a bit larger than life. And I love that. I love that about it. Yeah, no, I'm just pointing that opening scene out because I, I think that it, you, it, it, it may, like I said, it may be jarring to some people and it may kind of turn them off into like what type of film it is. Because like I said, I watched, I've seen this movie several times and I watched it um, coincidentally with my roommate oh, several years ago. Uh, who isn't a, a huge horror fan? And I remember after the, like watching this opening scene, he turned to me and he's like, "What the fuck are you making me watch?" And I'm like, "No, just wait, just wait, okay? It's it's, it's gonna it's gonna get yeah. better." And then he ended up really appreciating it. So that's kind of what I what I meant is it's not your typical slasher opening scene, fair, but it is very like you said, very artistic, very beautiful. I mean, it, then once you realize it's the opening scene or, or they're rehearsing, then you get introduced to this cast of characters and the, the director, Peter, uh, who is, you know, right away portrayed as kind of this harsh, um, dick, basically that's his whole persona throughout the film. Um, and, and the rest of the cast, so you have Alicia, who's the lead, um, and all these other colorful characters, but what ends up happening to get the film going and when it picks up steam is Alicia, the main actress in the, in the play, in the film sprains her ankle and without anybody knowing, without telling anybody her and another one of that, or the, the costume designer, Betty, they go to try to find a doctor and the closest place that they can go to that is somewhat of a doctor doctor's office is a psychiatric hospital. Okay, so they go into the psychiatric hospital and this girl for a sprained ankle. And even like the receptionist is like, oh, you're in the wrong place, honey. This is a psychiatric hospital. But the doctor, the cute psychiatrist ends up agreeing to see her and and kind of helping her. And along the way, she happens to see the room where a killer by the name of Irving Wallace is there in the psychiatric hospital. And it's revealed that Irving Wallace uh, actually is an actor who killed his fellow actors during a production. Um, And basically he escapes by killing the uh, orderly and hides in the back of the car when Alicia and Betty go back to the, uh, to this uh, theater and that's how you have the whole killer getting to the theater um, explained. And there are some really effective things as far as shots and, and whatnot that happen in that span. I just kind of wanted to get it out there. That's how the killer gets there. Yeah. But I love 
I mean, there's just, just such interesting things. Like I love the scene at the hospital, the psychiatric hospital before the two girls get there where the receptionist is feeding the fish and you get that. And it's through, you see her through the big fish tank and you get that really haunting effective score that plays throughout the film. And I just think that's just a really interesting, well shot scene. There's a lot of, you know, speaking of the fish, I noticed early in the film, there's a lot of imagery that they use that is like super symbolic like the black cat, they keep referencing the black cat. Um, and like you said, like that whole aquarium sequence um, and it, it, very much like alluding to what's to come, you know, and I loved that. And it, one thing I, I will say up to this point in the film, I, I kept thinking like, oh, they're going, I'm seeing a lot of tropes here, you know, the, the escapee from the asylum and uh, even them coming to that hospital and like, being an insane asylum and like, oh, what are the chances that they would actually be admitted to like go in there and be treated? But because of like, A, likable characters, really well acted likable characters, especially I would say in the female lead. Um, and um, overall, just like the approach to how they filmed it, being like a group of thespians and everything, it just works for me. Like it gelled. And even in scenarios that I wouldn't normally think would work, or I might say that's so over the top, I'm not going to buy it. But they just really made this really like cohesive universe. Um, and everything that happened, like I said, with all these little symbolic moments, it all kind of made it like Lego pieces falling together and and, and forming this really great visual story. And I, I was just such a fan of how they executed it. Oh, I agree. Yeah, the characters are definitely an interesting bunch of characters. And yeah, I mean, you get like there's that bitchy gay guy that, you know, what's bread? Is that bread? Yeah. Who's wearing his little tight, right, yeah. tight leotard the whole time? <laughs> but he's he's the actor and he's the actor that's playing the owl in the in the actual production. But he has some really good little, like little verbal back and forth spats with um, Laurel, who is kind of the bitchy mm-hmm. prima donna type character. Um, so yeah, I mean these characters definitely are, are are a little bit more fleshed out than what you would expect um, from this type yeah. of yeah, especially especially an Italian slasher film because yeah a lot of times italian slasher films or jallos the characters are paper thin they're there to be killed and that's it they have no personality no any there's just nothing to connect to them in this film it's a little bit different because these characters are like you said they're all very likable with the exception of peter um so it is it is very interesting in that way that it does steer away from like the italian slasher uh Formula, I don't even know if it's a formula. I don't even think it's like, like an intentional. I think that a lot of these jalos are about the the kills and not about the characters. Um, mm-hmm. And this one does pay a little bit more attention to the characters, which is refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you get, yeah. so once they the two get back to the um, theater, Peter finds out that they left. And what's he end up doing? He ends up firing. He, he fires Alicia, yeah. He fires Alicia, and he has Laurel take over her role. And then mm-hmm. he tells one of the actresses, Corinne, to hide. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Okay, so once he fires Alicia, Betty goes back out to the car, and <laughs> – 
Well, I mean, there are a few things with this film that I do have issues with, and one of them is right here. It's when Betty's character goes back out of the carts. It's a beautiful scene. It's it's, thund- it's pouring rain. It's very um, moody. She gets in the car, and she's, you know, and a fucking cat jumps out. Where did this fucking cat come from, and how did it get in the car is what I want to know. Uh, th- that's just one of the ridiculous things about this movie. And then she takes the cat, she just throws it, and you never see the cat again. I don't know. Well, the cat they keep bringing up. Um, how do you get the black in, cat? How do you get in the car though? Well, they because remember when? Okay, there's like a janitor, um, and he's like he's looking for the cat. Remember when they're leaving? He's like, "Where's that damn cat?" Because the cat goes. You actually see the cat leave. I didn't see it get in the car. The theater. Yeah, when he gives them the key. Remember how he reaches up to the slot and he takes the key and he's like, "When you come back, put it right here." There's the cat is consistently woven throughout. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering how it got in the car, and then she throw, and then when she throws it, you don't see it. I mean, she didn't throw it out of the car, right? Kind of threw it, and you don't see it again. I mean, in the car, like a normal cat would come back and like probably scratch the shit out of the bitch if if you threw. But you don't see the. But anyways, that's just whatever. But uh, and then she gets out, and you get the first death scene, which is pretty actually fucking brutal. Um, Mm -hmm. He gets a pickaxe her mouth <laughs> yeah yeah um, and it's well executed oh yeah yes i'm like damn that's pretty brutal and it's really well executed because her body falls back and you just get the shot of her on her back with the pickaxe sticking out of her mouth and just the rain pouring down on her very very yeah. cool scene um yeah. and then of course alicia comes out finds the body screams runs back in they call the police the police show up you know all the body off and two officers decide to stay there and this is when peter gets this bright idea that oh my god we are going to be known now as the show where the girl was actually murdered so why don't i take advantage of this because i would make a shit ton of money if we play this up and instead of just having this random night owl character we're going to make the killer give him the name Irving Wallace, the real killer. Um, and that's going to attract tons of people to come to the show. So what I want you all to do is I want you all to stay here tonight. We're going to stay overnight and we're going to rehearse the fuck out of this now because now we're ha- we have a new take on it. We're going to do things a little bit different. And of course the actors are hesitant, but he bribes them to stay with extra money. And that is when he tells Corinne to hide the key. Mm-hmm. because I don't want anybody leaving again. So hide the key and let's get this going. So they do and they start rehearsing and Corinne has her big scene. And in the meantime, Brett was looking for the owl costume and you get this scene of the owl sneak up behind Brett and it cuts. And then the owl comes out on stage um, during Corinne's scene and chokes her and the Peter's like, yeah, yeah, killer, killer. And the owl takes out a knife and starts stabbing the hell out of her. And it just happens to be real. <laughs> so that's pretty, that's a really effective scene too. I thought that scene was a standout sequence. I thought it was honestly like, that was, I mean, the whole movie at that point, I was enjoying it. But that when that happened, I was like, oh, like this killer don't give a fuck. 
he don't give a fuck. He's just going to kill this woman in front of this massive crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I see. Well, and it's funny because they don't really, it's not funny, but it's more effective because they don't know that it's fake right away. So right. they're like, oh, yeah, kill her. Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. But they don't really know that um, she's really being killed. Yeah, yeah. There's a few things that within the character choices, like, and, and you know, I did say a moment ago, there's a lot of tropes, but there's also some things where I was like, you know, they actually wrote a lot of these characters' responses um, pretty well. Like, for example, like when they had that whole sequence when Alicia went out and found Betty's body, like in my mind, I was like, please tell me like she doesn't go back inside. And they're all like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. This is all a joke. And then they go back out and the body's gone. No, like it literally like, she screamed, there's a body, and all of a sudden it cuts to, like, cops. Like, everything kind of occurred, like, with a with a sense of realism to it that I was like, this is working for me. So this whole sequence, we, I mean, it made sense why they wouldn't even put together why it was the killer. And then when they realized that, you know, Corinne was being brutally stabbed to death, there's this really awesome scene of them all rushing the stage, and the killer just runs off into the darkness, uh -huh. but they're all around her body, like, trying to help her, and she literally, like, they're talking to her and trying to comfort her, but also looking for the key, and she, like, bleeds out in front of them, and it's this really effective sequence, of, and it was very uh, believable in, to me, for, again, for being this style of film that it is, I was very surprised at how they handled some of these moments. Um, and, and some of the characters choices, um, another one, there's a sequence a little bit further ahead and I'm not going to go too deep into it because I know I'll touch on it, but, um, uh, the character is Sybil. There's a really cool sequence where Sybil is screaming and she's freaking out. And then all of a sudden she snaps to it and she grabs a sewing needle and, and as though she's going to respond. And it's just little things like that where I'm like, okay, at least this character isn't completely helpless. Like they're giving these characters like real human responses. And I really like that about them. Yes. Oh, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. They, the, the characters here are, they're not, they're not, they're not dumb. You know, they're not doing these, they're not making choices that you're sitting there rolling your eyes at and being like, Oh, come on. Like really. Right. Yeah, and it, it just ha it just so happens that they're facing a killer who happens to be extremely smart and extremely stealth. Yeah. So it's not the fact I don't feel like you know a lot of these slasher films you feel like the the, the characters are being killed because of the stupid decisions they're making. I feel like this is the opposite. I feel like these characters are making the right decisions. It's just the fact that the killer is much smarter than them, or, or more, or a few steps ahead of them. If that makes any sense. Right. Right. So, because they're doing what I think I would do. I mean, I mean, and we'll get to that. They're they're doing the right things, but it just so happens this killer is just a little bit smarter. But yeah, and that's a. I mean, this. Yeah, this script is pretty smart because yeah, you have it. Just you know, with Corinne being the one to hide the key, and then her getting killed first. That's that explains right away how they get locked in, why they can't get out. Um, and you know, and then that. Stupid Peter, he is start. He does start, and I just wanted to punch him. I'm like, God, this girl just got stabbed. He's like, starts shaking her. Where's the key? Where's the key? You know, I'm like, let the girl die without like brutalizing her even more. But, um, but she can't tell them where the key is. She's dying. Okay, so yeah, and then they all kind of figure out what do we need to do? We need to we need to figure out how to get out of here. And they they all take off running and they go into this. Um, office 
And in the meantime, you have Ferrar. What's his name? Ferrari, the guy that Ferrari produces yeah, and has all the money. He, you know, he gets killed by the owl and uh, <laughs> tries to offer the owl money. Oh, here, take the money and whatever. That didn't work out too too well for him. But he does end up having another very um, clown after midnight reveal there's a you had said this when we watched that film you're like there's a lot of moments here that are very stage fright yeah and i saw it now because i had never seen stage fright but I, um the the whole scene where the body drops yes like directly taken from this film you know because there's the scene where they have the female body that drops in the exact same fashion i mean to the point that like i dare say was it a hat tip or did they just steal it uh <laughs> you know but um i saw a lot of that inspiration here uh, and I do find it funny and ironic that um, so many things from this film are, are directly reflected in, in in that movie as well. Yes, there's a lot. There's a lot of, I mean, I feel like this film has a lot of things that are reflected kind of in, in later films to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about this film, you know, and its impact or its influence or its maybe lack of impact, even though it should be more impactful. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the group kind of barricade themselves into this little like, well, they're looking for, you know, they're looking for weapons, blah, blah, blah. But they barricade themselves in this little um, office or little room. And the two two guys decide to go and try to find, what is it? They, t- they go to try to find a gun, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that is where you get the whole Sybil, like the scene that you were just talking about, where she is like freaking out. And it's all the girls and, um, and, uh, Mark, 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 who I tell me if I'm wrong here, but it would completely make sense. Did you get gay lover vibes from Peter and Mark? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after what, what's about to transpire. There's a moment where Peter's like, no, which registered to me as my lover. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this sequence was again, I mean, the kills in this movie, pretty fucking awesome and this whole sequence in the dressing room with the girls and mark uh what goes down is honestly a good fucking sequence mm-hmm. yeah i really enjoyed it. it's it's surprising um because yeah you get you get they the killer starts to try to get into the room and sybil sees this and that's she starts and that's you know she kind of gets a little grating at times with her screaming and Yes. Um, and I mean, yeah, she's an interesting character as well because you find out she's pregnant um, and her boyfriend is one of the actors as well. And, you know, so you kind of get some little sentimental moments with them, but she kind of is a, a little bit of a grating character. But yeah, so uh, Mark tries to, you know, go back, backs up against the door to try to, you know, block the killer from getting in. And, all of a sudden, the hand comes through the door and grabs him, and you're thinking, "Okay, you can you can get away, you can get away, just pull away, pull away." But then, what happens? Oh my god! Well, Sybil is a. You think she's about to have a moment where she snaps out of it. She grabs that sewing needle. You think she's going to like save him, and then before she can do anything, a power drill comes through the door and drills right through Mark's body, and it's very effective and it's pretty terrifying. Um, but meanwhile, the guys are busy looking for the gun and there's still that music playing. So they just don't hear anything. And finally the music cuts out and they hear the screams. They all go running back. 
And there's like a really great reveal sequence where there's blood all over the door and everything, but the killer is gone. Um, but then there's that moment where Peter enters the dressing room and he looks down and he sees Mark is dead. And I, and that's kind of when Peter like was like, all right, we're going to fucking take on this killer if it's the last thing we do. And like, I'm like, you are avenging your fallen lover and you can't convince me otherwise. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I kind of got those vibes as well. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's theater. I mean, <laughs> um, but yeah. And that's, that's another, I mean, this is another example of like, what what to do because or the choices that the, the characters make because at this point you know what they a couple of them are like we need to stay in here and barricade ourselves and he's like no obviously that doesn't work look what happened to poor mark it, we can't do that we have to either we're either we're either gonna fight or we're gonna you know we're gonna stay in here and die because obviously this guy knows how, what he's doing so they make the decision oh yeah they make the decision to go and they grab they get weapons and stuff and they're going to go they're going to go and try to get out or try to find this guy and kill him before he can kill them um and you get that kind of great scene where they're all running trying to figure out what what's going on where they're at and you see the owl up in the rafters now can we just talk about you i know you mentioned it but can we just talk about how fucking amazing that owl costume is not only not only from uh you know just hey, it's a fucking killer owl. But from the perspective of how great it's shot and how great it looks on screen when they reveal it, when you have like these yeah, and like this silhouette, when you have these pitch black hallways or these pitch black catwalks, and you can all you see is just this white owl face. Like it's it's so yeah. freaking cool. It's one of the best, honestly. I would say I would have to say it's one of the best killer designs i can think of today well and it's a he's and it's a brutal fucking killer so it, it kind of i mean it's yeah. this is not a killer that is a does he's pretty brutal well and one thing i really love is because it's like a white mask like it is a white feathered mask as the movie progresses like it's getting splattered with blood like you just see it's blood yeah and like feathers are falling out and the usage of feathers throughout the film in general it's just so well thought out. Like whoever the artistic design designer was behind this knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And this is an example of, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what the budget of this film was, but this is a perfect example of like, this is this film for the most part, excuse me, besides the hospital sequence, the psychiatric hospital, this film takes place in one setting. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's a warehouse basically that has a stage in it. Um, but yeah. they sure make the most of the setting. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, it's 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 impressive. It's impressive. Yeah. But they they see the owl up in the rafters, and that's when uh, Peter's like, "Oh, there he is! Let's go! Let's go get him because he's going to be trapped up there, and we can kill him." So they all run up the they get up the catwalk, and this is kind of when you want to like, you don't you kind of realize that Laurel isn't as you know just kind of a bitch because <laughs> Barb or Alicia is, is behind her on the ladder and is kind of like, wait for me, wait for me. And she fucking Laurel like kicks her down <laughs> and, and she falls off the ladder and, and not is like laying there looking like she's dead. And um, Laurel just looks at her and is like, oh, oh, well, and goes back and climbs up the freaking ladder. I mean, like you bitch. I think, <laughs> but you know, in the, in the long run doing that actually saved her life alicia's life absolutely 
Absolutely. It's again, it's just another one that, like you said, this like it's it's characters responding. A lot of the circumstances are more just like situational in the sense of if it wouldn't, if that wouldn't have happened that way, she probably would not have survived. But because of everything that went transpired, everything, it just, it's such a well-handled storyline. Like even like with them all going upstairs and everything, um, everything that occurs, like their whole reasoning for wanting to chase him, the reasoning for wanting, the reason that he even has the weapons. Another thing, Peter says, he's like, oh, he got into this, I think like the supply or the, um, the, um, because it's you know it's a it's a theater so there's like a, a the room where they keep all of their equipment and everything to build the stage and he says like that's where he got the power drill and that explains the other weapons that he's using like it's all like explained you don't get that a lot in these films a lot of times you just kind of have to piece things together and they really need a good job of like trying to make sense out of all yeah. of yeah you are very right because there is oftentimes in horror films where a killer has a weapon and you're like, where the hell did you get that at where you're at? Now? Like Friday the 13th right. part seven, a new blood. Like how the hell does Jason have a, uh, one of those round power saws in the middle of the woods to kill that doctor, but whatever. But this, this, they, ex- yeah. they explain everything here. Yes. The, he got the way we- he, he got the weapons from the, the supply room or the storage room. That's, because God, does he have a lot of weapons? And it's it's a variety of weapons. It's not the same. Yes. You know, he doesn't, I mean, it's a, he uses a different things to kill. It's not the same thing. So he likes his variety. Yeah. But I, I, I love this whole sequence when we're on the, when we're on the catwalk, because um, this is where you have, um, oh, they find okay, so they 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 hear a moan and they 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 they're up on the up, upstairs on the catwalk or in the attic, whatever you want to call it, and they hear a moan and they round a corner and there's the they see the kind of the owl head kind of peek out between outside of a, like a, around the corner. So Peter runs right away and just sees the owl and just starts hacking the shit out of it with an axe. And they're like, "Yes, it's over! It's over! Oh, Cyril! Oh, it's over!" And then they're like, uh, "Wait a minute! Why is there? Why is his hands tied?" <laughs> and they pull the mask off, and lo and behold, it is poor gay Brett. Because uh, you never really saw what happened to him no. before. You just saw the owl appear behind him. He's, this owl, yeah, is so f- fucking good at what he he's, does, killing he's, people. He's wise. Why is that? <laughs> he's a wise owl. He's a wise fucking owl. Yeah, and again. What a good sequence, though. Like, oh, and what ha- what happens after this sequence is even better. Yes, because once they realize it's Brett, Sybil has one of her, her, her famous breakdowns where she just starts screaming at the top of her fucking lungs. And she backs up, and you can kind of see, you kind of see it a little bit, but you can see, like, there's the floorboards are kind of all, like, not stable. And she falls through the damn floor and she's screaming. She's pulled through the floor. Oh yeah. Yeah. But then they're trying to pull her up and they, they, she's screaming bloody murder and they, they all give her one yank and they pull the upper half of her body. She's been cut in half. (laughs) And it is fucking awesome. It is honestly a very well done effect. Yeah. I was not prepared for it. And it kind of blew my mind. You get a full like upper torso with a spinal cord hanging out of it, and they don't shy away from showing it. And and her lover and the father, the to-be father of her now deceased child, Danny, is so wrought with emotion 
that he I think he he jumps down into the this into the next like you know jumps a floor down through this hole ready to take on the killer filled with rage and what happens then oh he's a meat oh there's oh this has to be the wimpiest uh, attempt at uh, fighting a killer I've ever seen because he's like immediately dispatched and cut up with a chainsaw like there is not even he doesn't even get like any punch anything in he's just like oh knocked out falls on the floor he like looks over and this this chainsaw goes right into him which i again i loved it i was not prepared did not anticipate i guess it makes sense that it was a chainsaw because you know she was sawed in half but um a great another great kill it's like kill after kill after kill i'm kind of blown away um but yeah he there's this amazing shot where they're all looking through the hole and they shine the light on him and you see like his torso just getting sawed through i was pretty impressed by it yeah it it, it was pretty quick like you you would expect like that's where you would expect like there to be some some sort of like a um elaborate like fight scene where danny's trying to fight for his life because usually that's what happens you know what I mean? Usually yeah. when someone goes to confront a killer, there's a, a little bit of a fight. It, it kind of gives you some suspense. It's, oh, maybe he's going to get the best of the killer. Oh, no, that does not happen here at all. He is Once he hits that floor, he's immediately dispatched with that chainsaw. Violently. Violently. Um, and poor Sybil. Yeah, there goes Sybil. And she was, you know, I mean, pregnant. So there's the, the baby obviously didn't live. <laughs> That's not funny. But no. uh, I mean, it's no. just <laughs> such a brutal Brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the rest of them run back down and. Which there are very few at this no, point. No, it's, it's basically, it's, it's Peter and what's her name? Laurel, right? Well, and, and Alicia's who's passed out. So Laurel and Peter basically run down and immediately are confronted by the owl. I mean, this is another thing. Like there is no like. This owl means business because there is no, at this point, there is no creeping around. There's no stalking. He's like coming after you because he immediately comes after them and he has his chainsaw and he, and, and Peter or yeah, Peter runs to the door and is trying to get out. And this owl comes at him with the chainsaw. And in the meantime, Laurel's there and she tries to get away, but the, the owl is able to slash her across the chest with the chainsaw. And right as he's getting ready to, Chainsaw Peter, the chainsaw runs out of gas, apparently. And Peter's like, oh, thank God, thank God. You know, and then what happens? <laughs> uh, he's dispatched. <laughs> yes. The, the owl gets his axe and chops his head off. Yes. <laughs> his, and w- chops his head off. And that head comes into play in a very dramatic fashion later in a very theatrical way. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, folks, we're telling you, this This is a pretty, like, brutal and just, like, no-holds-bar flick. There's This killer is probably one of the more yeah. brutal, straightforward killers you're going to see in a slasher movie. Yeah. He doesn't play games. He doesn't taunt. He's there to kill you. Yeah. Um, so... Then I then this whole this whole thing I, I really think it's really effective too. Um, it's when uh, Alicia wakes up, yeah, and you real she's not dead, and she kind of is feeling her way around. She gets up, she hears the owl coming, and she runs into this bathroom. And I, this sequence is pretty disturbing, actually. And she hides into it in a shower, but in the shower stall next to her, she sees Laurel laying there 
who has been cut with a chainsaw and is bleeding profusely and just almost, I mean, she's dying obviously, but she's not dead yet. I mean, she's kind of in the fetal position and it's very like emotional because the owl comes in and Alicia is, the owl goes, the owl doesn't know that Alicia's in the other shower stall, but he goes into Laurel shower stall, lifts her up, as Laurel is staring straight at Alicia, because Alicia can see it through a crack. It's really kind of disturbing because you can see in Alicia's eyes that she is basically saying, please don't say you see me. Please don't make any indication that you see me. But at the same time, there's some like sympathy or fear because the owl then just stabs her Alicia or stabs Laurel in the stomach and just lifts the knife up and guts her. Right in front of it's it's very effective, I very think, effective. because you can because it's like what do you do? Because you see her pleading, please, like in her face, it's like please don't say anything, please don't give any indication that I'm here. Yeah, yeah, and there's even like like leading up to this, this whole sequence is so um, uh, effective because you even have like the whole creep, even the creeping sequence of her moving through the basement level, you know, with like like the walls of masks and everything. Being that you're in a theater, like the things that she sees, it's just very striking. And she, when she gets in there, though, she has that moment with Laurel where like she's trying to help her, but like she's like, I can't fucking do anything. So it's not like she's being a, a bitch about it. Like she tries no, to assist no. her. She's, I mean, Alicia's character is very endearing and likable and human, and um that whole sequence where like he comes in and he puts the mask up against like the, the white curtain, you know, the shower curtain. And it's just like, so they just use that imagery so well. They do such a good job of making him terrifying. And yeah, like that whole moment where their eyes lock and you see, like, there's a lot of things going on. There's the whole, like the fear in Laurel's eyes, the, 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 she she even goes like, huh, like almost she like asks for help, but she doesn't. And it's just, it's very effective. Very effective, yeah. Yeah, there was some great choices made with this film, um, direction-wise, acting-wise, that you just don't see a lot of. Right, right. Um, but then now this leads to the to the climax of the film, and one of the one of the I don't care what anybody says, one of the most suspenseful, well-executed scenes in horror history. Yes, yes. And so, basically. Alicia's characters kind of sneaks out into the main area and she sees the owl sitting on the stage and the owl has made this elaborate setting of bodies around him. Like all of the bodies are propped up around him and he's kind of sitting in this, you know, armchair, just kind of relaxing. And there's the cat that somehow, even though the theater has been locked up, the cat made its way back into the theater somehow, but we're not going to question that. Peter's head is pleasantly displayed atop the table as like the main central piece of decor. And, uh, you know, Sybil's upper torso sitting on the couch, you know. And she's wearing a delicate bow atop her head. Very festive. Alicia happens to see the key has fallen between the cracks on the stage. So she can see the top of the key. Um, So she kind of cautiously makes her way underneath the stage. And this is a terrifying scene. Because, I mean, I can't even explain. you. This is one of the, and like I said, I don't care what anybody says, this is one of the scariest, most tense scenes in, in film history. 
because she's under that stage. The killer is right above her. She. He's put a bag of feathers next to a fan, by the way. So there are feathers like gently falling, fluttering down around her. It's beautiful looking. It is, but it's also horrifying. So she finds, she finds a nail and she, the key is literally like a couple feet of in front of where the owl is sitting and she's trying to unlodge the key with this nail while trying to be quiet about it. And she gets the key finally unlodged and it falls. And you just know that he probably heard that because it's pretty loud. Well, the music stops. The music stops and the cat responds and, and you hear the key go ding, ding. You hear it hit. Yes. So yeah. she grabs the key and she proceeds to go out under the stage and his fucking head drops down right away. I mean, I mean it's, it's terrifying. As she's getting ready to crawl from under the stage, he, his head drops down. He grabs her. Luckily, she still had that nail because she jabs it into his eye. She is fucking resourceful. That girl's resourceful. I love it. And she takes off. She gets, you know, runs to the doors trying to get the key in and realizes it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. So she, she, I can't, she, it won't, she can't get it in in time. So she has to run up to the catwalk and try to, because he's coming, he's coming full force for her. Yes. Axe in hand. She knows she's not going to get it, you know, in time. So she takes off, she goes back up the ladder, back to the catwalk. And they do have a really cool little, like, what do you even want to call it? It's not really a chase scene. It's, it's confrontation. Confrontation. Because she is able to get, kind of get the best of him for the first time. And, and he, she, she's able to knock him over the catwalk. And this is another really good scene that's executed yeah. really well and looks really yeah. good really high budget the whole thing like not only does he go over but like he's hanging on a wire mm-hmm. the wire like gets lodged and then the wire becomes unplugged and it becomes lodged again yeah. there's so many like layer after layer after yeah. layer of this whole sequence it makes it so dramatic fittingly so it's in a theater with thespians but um yeah it's so effective yeah oh god it is it is and it lasts quite a long time because it, but yeah you're right he falls over the catwalk but he, he's able to grab a cord like an, a, an electrical cord and it it suspends him and he's suspended above you know above the theater and as he's hanging there he starts to climb up and then the you see the the cord become unlodged again and he starts to fall and you're like oh god he's gonna fall but it hooks again on another you know in another area and then he's able to start climbing and he gets to the top but she gets the axe and starts hacking away at the cord and he the cord basically releases and cuts in half right as he's getting ready to get her and he falls and crashes onto a table and you think that's you know that's the end of it so it's it's not though no well it's yeah it's never actually technically the end no she's <laughs> she goes down there and she's cautiously kind of going towards the door and as she gets by his body in good slasher fashion he Comes, he grabs her and they have a little scuffle and she knocks the barrel a fire. There's a barrel that's been burning this fire throughout this whole thing that was part of the stage setting for their, their theater. She's able to knock it over on him and he sucks him on fire. In a, yet again, a very dramatic sequence. And his screams, like, he go, they go from like human like to like monstrous. It's uh-huh. so uh, 
uh, chilling. The that whole final chase sequence is one of the I would say the best I've seen uh, in a very long time. Um, and and a lot of it is because she's just such a capable heroine. And we've had a few movies here where the female leads have been kind of lackluster. And this movie really delivered in the sense of having a female lead who is super competent and capable. And even when he's hanging, like when he's dangling and she grabs like the fire extinguisher and just starts smashing his hands. I'm like, thank you, Alicia. Thank you for being resourceful. Thank you for at least trying as compared to um, the goddamn clown after midnight. <laughs> and I can't even remember her name, but God, she oh, you have to You have to remember her name because she said it 50 fucking times. Kate, remember? I'm Kate. Hi, I'm Kate. It's Kate, yes. Yeah. The most forgettable of all heroines. Yeah, right. Um, but no, I mean, honestly, like Alicia just time after time really kind of proves herself. And I'm, I'm, I um, I was so happy that like she got the best of him in such a great way, like multiple times too. Like she really just, she dealt it to him hard and as, as he deserved. Yeah. So yeah, she gets out. She's able to get out. And I, th- I personally, this is just me. I think the movie should have ended there. I feel like what was tacked on at the end was a little, eh. Over the top. Yeah, I feel like that's that is one of the one complaints that I have about this movie. And really, the other complaint I have about this movie, and this is a very Italian slasher, a very Italian horror thing, and it's just me being really nitpicky, I guess, is I don't like the hard, over-the-top, like, hard rock score that kicks in during a lot of the scenes. I don't know. To me, it's See, just, I personally don't mind that, but I can, I get that. It was very, it made me think of demons like that. It's like kind of gremlin-y like very demons like, and what, well, which is yeah. fitting because he was assistant director on demons. So yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it is very demons where that's, that's, it's like inappropriate music kicks in, but I mean, that's a minor gripe. But I think you, as you watch it more, I think you can appreciate how it fits the film a little bit more. Yeah. But the first couple yeah. of watches, I was like, Oh God, I hate this. But I've I've grown to appreciate what I the it adds to the intensity. Yeah, the biggest gripe I have about this film is the last the last segment. I think it was totally unnecessary, but I wish the film. Where she goes back. Yeah, I wish the film would have ended with her just getting out, but it doesn't. The film ends with the next day, and she. I don't know. She realizes that she lost her watch this very sentimental watch to her. And actually you see the watch when she's fighting with him, you see the watch fall off her wrist yeah, and land, but she, yeah. for some reason wants to go back to find this watch. Um, and so she takes a taxi cab back to the, uh, to the theater and she runs into the caretaker, the same one that let her and Betty go out. Willie. Willie. His name Willie. It's Willie, and she. Uh, even though it's a crime scene, and you would think that there would be like police there. How can she get in? Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't. This is this is the one part of the movie that just doesn't sit well with me because there's no way she would have got in the very next morning. Yeah. There, I mean, this would have been a right. lockdown crime scene. I mean, how many people were brutally murdered? I mean, you're not just gonna. But anyways, I'm going on. That's the true crime buff coming out, but um. She gets back in and she finds her. Well, she, she, there is that scene where she gets there and she, he, oh, he says something about, oh, 
you're in the papers today. Oh, they're calling this the sound, the soundstage massacre. Eight bodies, eight mutilated bodies found at a soundstage. So she gets in, and then for some reason, as she looks at the stage and she sees the little tags that have the numbers of all the bodies, she's starting to realize why eight. It should not. It shouldn't. It should actually be nine because of the killer, right? Well. Just as she's seeing that, she, she finds her watch, and then the freaking killer jumps out. He's all burned, and he grabs her, and right away, he gets shot in the forehead. Yes. And it's... Yes. Willie shoots him in the forehead with a gun. That yes. did play a part in the film before, because remember, she tries to shoot the owl during that stage, but she forgot to turn the safety off, as Willie reminds her 20 fucking times. He didn't turn the safety off. You didn't. Well, how would he know she even tried to shoot him? Is what I want to know. But whatever. Well, as I say, there's a few things. I, I I agree with you. It, it was that kind of that over the top push that I don't know if the movie needed, but it is so theatrical that I don't really actually mind it. But there's a few things I like. First of all, she does reference the watch earlier in the movie because uh, they talk about her selling it for money. Remember how she gets fired from the production, and they're like, "Well, you can sell your watch." She's like, "Oh my!" I think she said like my. This is my mother's or my grandmother's. So they reference the importance of the mm-hmm. watch. Then they do reference that his original kills, he killed nine people. Did they say that? At the, uh, the He killed, uh, being an actor, he killed everybody in the, his former production. And it was nine people that time, correct? So they they have these other, they do have elements to tie in. It's, it's not like it, there's no purpose in her going back. Um, but more than anything, I like that they gave the black guy the final kill. <laughs> Like, you never got that. You At least up to that point, they gave the black guy the final moment. And I was like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. It's progressive as you're going to get. But then she walks away. And then the, then the final shot is the killer lifting his head up. So he's or open his eyes and smiling at the camera. So obviously he's still alive. Despite a bullet to the head. <laughs> but that's, but that's how it ends. Um, I, I just want to say, I mean, I this is one of my favorite horror films, um, which is why I wanted to discuss it because I personally do not feel that that this film gets the attention, the credit, the praise that it deserves. Which is mind-boggling. This is really, folks, in my opinion, this is really one of the best slasher films of the 80s and probably one of the best slasher films of all time it's 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 not a this film is like you said at the beginning is is art it's not just a slasher film there is so much that goes into this film when you think about the the shot like every shot in this film is beautiful and seems like it has a purpose beyond you know just being there to 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 show you know the the killer killing people this is a well thought out film it's a beautiful film the cinematography is amazing uh when you look at a film like this and compare it to a film that let's say i don't know what's a really well known film from the 80s that gets a lot of attention but it's kind of meh something like i don't know i don't want to piss people off but something like the burning yeah. which you get you see get a lot of attention. You can't compare these two films. I mean, let's even talk about like Friday the Thirteenth versus this film. That's what I was going to say. 
from a cinematography angle alone, I, there's one scene I, I really want to point out. Just, you know, I mean, there's so many, but there's one sequence. It's the sequence when they realize that uh, Corinne is dead and they all start to run off. And you have this whole sequence that like really translates like a, like a steady cam, like a handheld, but it's very fluid and it's very beautiful. And it, it, and it's, there's so much movement, more movement than I'm used to from this era. And they took a lot of risks and it's the whole sequence where, um, where Ferrari goes back to get the money and like the, you know, and he's going through and the camera's just moving all over the place, very fluid, almost like a dance. And they really translated that element of the story they're telling to the visual elements of the film. And um, they just did such a great job. I'm very thankful that you picked this movie. I'm shocked I haven't seen it. I'm baffled that horror fans do not celebrate it more. Uh, The imagery is so iconic, in my opinion. Uh, I'm shocked that I don't see more t-shirts and items with that owl face on it. Um, And honestly, I mean, being being an LGBTQ kind of based podcast i'm shocked that the gays haven't haven't caught on to this yeah oh yeah because you do get the you do have a very blatantly gay character who has you know like and he's very uh you know flamboyant and 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 um has some good one-liner bitchy one-liners but he's never ever looked down on or talked negatively about. He's in fact he's he's embraced as part of the group, and you can tell he has like a chemistry with them. And and uh, like I said, I think there's definitely some sexual tension between Peter and whom I assume to be his lover, Mark. Um, there's just I mean, it, it seems very progressive in a lot of elements. Even like the aspect of the storyline with her being pregnant uh, and and him uh, with uh, like with. Um, the other with the male dancer with Sybil, you know, there's just some, some things that you don't always get in these earlier slashers. I'm really happy that they uh, took the risks that they did. Yeah. I've all, I mean, I've always been flabbergasted that this film isn't mentioned more because it, there's so many iconic things about the film, the mask alone, but then that whole final minus the, the tacked on ending, but the whole final scene with her on the, under the yeah. stage and the, him with the feathers flying. I mean, that is just one of the most beautiful, suspenseful scenes ever filmed. And I just, I so it just, and I wonder if it's maybe because it's an Italian film. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it does, it deserves, this film deserves to be mentioned way more often than it is when you're talking about the best horror films of all time. Because again, I feel like this film is a, as a film, as a piece of cinema is much better than something like Friday the 13th. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that gets mentioned constantly. This, this film is miles beyond that. When you, th- when you think about filmmaking in a cinematic standpoint. Superior, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and fans might get a huffy and puffy about that. Yeah, but like, I mean, I'm a fan of Friday the 13th, but I can sit here and I can look at this and it, it's, it's apples to oranges. You know, I mean, like this movie is just stunning it is a stunning it's a masterpiece in the sense of how it was crafted i agree the colors the richness the 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 character design the costumes it just is it's light years beyond yeah well i'm glad you got to see it roger i i'm because it's yeah it's it's one of my favorites it'll always be one of my favorites um and you know you watch it and it's a film you watch and you just see something new every time you watch it um Mm -hmm. It's a stunning film. It's a beautiful film. And I, I just, if you have not seen this film, I implore you to please check it out. So that's that stage fright. I'm glad we got the to gifts talk. the 80s give. Yes. And it's late 80s. This is 87. So this is past. Yes. The, yes. Another 80s gem. 
Yeah. Okay. So that's stage fright. So yeah, we've talked about this for a while. So let's let's kind of wrap it up and 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 talk about what you what our next episode is going to be because it's your pick now because I picked Slaughter High and then this one. Well, you know, I, I felt that with my my last couple choices, I went you know a very um, went kind of dry, high a little highbrow, and I want to prove that I got it in yeah. me to keep up with uh, to keep up with <laughs> you and your. Um, your grade A cinema, which actually this is grade A cinema though. This I'm honestly this is great, but some of the other ones you picked have been eye opening um, <laughs> and breathtaking in their own way. Um, so I picked honestly one of my favorite '80s gems, and I and I mean that. Um, and I've seen it. I have seen it discussed a lot lately, um, but uh, but you know what? It's it really is probably my favorite '80s film of the genre and um it and i feel it's one that at the end of the day it still doesn't get the love and attention it does deserve and it's it's hello mary lou prom night two and it's i can't you know i can't wait this is going to be one that you and i are going to sink our little fangs into because there are (laughs) there are some things in it there are some hair (laughs) that is both head hair and pubic hair there is a lot there's a lot to talk about and we're gonna um we're gonna have a good time i can't wait yeah i can't either it's it's a film that i've i actually just watched it recently but i'll watch it again but yeah it's it is a gem and it's you know it's it's actually it's way more entertaining than the first prom night which i think is way Oh god that will see there you go there's another film that gets mentioned a lot that stage fright is miles better than but um prom night the original one is just so dry it's just so boring but this one prom night two is 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 so fun and i cannot wait to talk about it with you even though i yeah you're right it has been covered i've seen it covered quite a bit but i think we will bring our own little unique perspective to this film so i'm excited Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I promise the next one will go a little more, uh, we'll go a little more out of left field, but, uh, but yeah, this one is, I, I, I think it's because I've seen it touched on by a few respectable gay podcasts. Um, and I kind of just want to throw my two cents in on it. Like I, I've heard some opinions. I've got my thoughts on it and I just kind of want to, um, I hope you like this movie because, uh, it's going to be a good one. I can't wait uh, to get this one recorded. And uh, ideally, you enjoyed this episode. As always, we love your support. We love your suggestions. We love your comments and commentary. Yes, indeed. Yeah, give us some love on, you know, rate us on Apple, uh, iTunes, and give us a good rating and, and join the Facebook group. And, and we'll, we'll, we promise we're going to start definitely uh, interacting and posting there way more and, and getting, getting this going because this is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and even if nobody listens, I just have such a great chatting with the movie about you. So. But we know uh, you but are. We are listening. getting listeners. For sure. <laughs> we are. We all, I know. I've, I've looked at the stats, and I'm surprised that as many people are listening that are honestly. But we love you for doing so. Yeah, I'm shocked that you you think our opinions are of any relevance. But thank you for that, guys. And uh, there's more to come. Yep, absolutely. So let's call it a night, and we will see you next episode with. Hello, Mary Lou, prom night too. Take care.